This week on Cinema Wheeler Tay, the movie that spawned the Disney Renaissance. Yes, today we're talking about The Little Mermaid. What more would we be talking about? <laughs> the Little Mermaid. Three adults discussing The Little Mermaid. That's today. There's nothing shameful in that. No, there's not. No, there's not. Animation is for everyone. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. This is uh, Cinema Wheeler Tay, and I'm joined as usual by my uh, co-host, my uh, partners in crime. <laughs> uh, to my left here, since you can't actually visually see it, <laughs> is uh, my friend, Tony Sacco. Hello. And to my right is my uh, brother, Scott Wheeler. Hello. And we're here to discuss, uh, like we said, The Little Mermaid. And uh, just to give us a little background on this movie, this is the movie that brought Disney back to prominence in animation after a long, uh, dull period. Yeah. Yes. What happened is back in the 19, late 1960s, around 66, Walt Disney passed away. And after Walt died... Pretty much the company was struggling for its identity. They were, you know, the movies were doing okay, and some of these titles, like The Aristocrats and uh, The Rescuers. I like that one. Yeah. You like The Aristocrats? I did. Yeah. It was jazzy. I like, I remember it had like, good jazz music, and I like cats. That's right, they you were, are. They were fancy cats, so, you know. <laughs> you are a cat fan, <laughs> so that makes sense. Uh, so you were one of the cult members of that. that, I, that. We actually, uh, we wa started watching The Aristocats not that long ago, because it was on Netflix. And but Netflix wasn't yeah, cooperating. Yeah, it wasn't cooperating, but I... I I love that movie. I always thought it was cute. I had no idea The Aristocrats was on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It has the everybody wants to be your cat. It has really good like scat music. Scat Cat. There was a Scat Cat. Scat Man Crothers, I think, is in that movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Scat Man Crothers. That's exactly right, yeah. He's the inspiration for the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, exactly. See, Randy Savage would have liked Aristocrats. Yeah, absolutely. He would have considered himself one. Yes, he would have. He would have. So yeah, that's an example of the kind of movies that were coming out. They were they did fairly well at the box office, but they weren't the huge blockbusters that Disney was used to. That the visionary that Disney happened to be was gone. You know, you didn't have that core guy like the same thing with Steve Jobs at Apple. It's just a transitional period for a company when it's been the single vision of one man going into kind of an aimless period. And by the 1980s, they were really struggling, and in comes Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, you know, who had previously worked for Paramount, and they were hired to kind of revive the, the film division. The parks were always doing well for Disney, but the, the, the movies, yeah. especially the animation, it just animated films were not that popular during I the 80s. I was just going to say, yeah, it seemed like more computer teenage-type movies were... Tron? Yeah. I exactly. Yeah, were the kind, kind, and all those Breakfast Club and all those kind of like teenage... Cult classics is, I mean, what they are now, but those were the kind of movies that were in. Exactly, you're yeah. absolutely right. They were making like these live action films. They were really trying to do a lot. It was a, kind of an experimental time for yeah. Disney, trying to find it new was kind ways of to experimental for everybody. I think the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a cluster period of just it's a decade of like combined times and mm -hmm. styles and. It was. It was dominated by you know Spielberg and Lucas essentially, yeah. especially in the first half of the decade and. And so Disney, at this point, they're hiring Eisner, hiring Katzenberg, and uh, this is at the p point where they released, like, one of their biggest bombs. It was the Black Cauldron. It was this big, epic, oh, dark yeah. fantasy uh, that bombed. And this is when Katzenberg himself specifically took over the animation division and tried to bring it back to prominence. And 
slowly but surely it started building up. They had the Great Mouse Detective. They oh, had yeah, that was cute. And Oliver and Company too. Yes, right? that was right before yeah. the movie we were about to discuss. Oliver and Company was fairly successful. So this was not the first. The Little Mermaid was proposed by uh, the two directors that ended up directing the film, and the gentlemen's names are Rob Clements and John Musker. And uh, I think they also directed The Great Mouse Detective, if I'm not mistaken. So they were kind of Disney veterans at that point. Yeah. And uh, they had an idea to, to do The Little Mermaid. Walt Disney had actually attempted this back in the 30s. That was one of those earlier projects really? following, yes, following uh, Snow White. He had, had made an attempt oh. to direct it. It was a Hans Christian Andersen tale. Mm -hmm. But they never got around to it. It was going to be part of like a, a trilogy of like, Hans Christian Andersen tales together in one film. It would have been so different. Yes, it would have been. Uh, yeah, it would have been very different. And I, I, I think uh, as they went through, obviously Disney films, as they were proposing in the eighties, it was kind of pushed aside. Roger Rabbit was another project at that time that they were working on that became a That's high a great, priority. Yeah, it's a good movie. So, um, you know, those two gentlemen, like Clements and Musker, they they got together and they uh, uh, were working on the project, and they brought in two songwriters who are uh, Howard Ashman, and I think it's Alan... Uh, Menken? Menken, yes, Menken. Alan Menken. And Ashman was the lyricist, and, and Menken was the, the main songwriter. And Ashman is the guy that said, this should be a musical. Disney has always been musically oriented, but let's make yes. this like a Broadway musical, where all the songs are kind of flowing together and mm -hmm. tied in. And that was kind of innovative for Disney. Disney had always featured songs, but they never had... A movie where it became a full-fledged musical, yeah. So that's what happened with that. And Ashman actually took um, all the animators from Disney into a room and showcased a lot of classic Hollywood musicals, and then started interspersing those songs with animated footage to show them what was going to be possible with that film. And a big contribution that Ashman made, and Ashman was really one of the, like, kind of a genius at that point. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away from AIDS a few years oh. later. Uh, but he, he was the one who proposed that the crab, who was originally an English butler, become oh. a Jamaican crab. And that really centered the, the music for the film. So That's a great point, yeah. He, he did a great job of that. So uh, the film itself, The Little Mermaid, was released on November 17, 1989, when all was complete. And it ushered in, like I said earlier, the Disney Renaissance. And that was a period when Disney came back to prominence telling s movies based on classic fairy tales mm -hmm. like The Little Mermaid and subsequently Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Yeah. And it lasted for a decade, 1989 to 1999. It was kind of the peak of Eisner's era at Disney. So oh, that's Disney we know. Yes. I mean, mostly. What does it say? This is the peak of Eisner's life as well. <laughs> it was. This is the <laughs> absolute was. peak. You can um, take this 10 years and say, this is Michael Eisner. If he's, he's like, why can't, this, why can't this be like 89 to 99? Yep, that's exactly what's going on there. This is Michael Eisner's peak period right here. Uh, so the movie was a huge hit. It made $84 million, which back in 1989 wow. for an 80s. moving money now. It is. It is. I wonder what that's adjusted for inflation. I yeah. don't know what the record is adjusted for inflation, but I'm sure it did well. Scott's going to figure that out <laughs> as we go. But, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the background of The Little Mermaid. It was a big, highly important film for Disney for a multi you know, multitude of reasons. So, what I want to go into now is, how did you guys come across this movie? What was the first time you had heard of it? What was your first time seeing it? What was that experience like? We'll start with a Tony. Okay. <clears throat> well, 
1989, actually November 17th of 1989, I was almost four years old. Mm -hmm. My birthday's December 4th, so I was on the cusp of being four. I don't remember seeing it in a movie theater. I can't really re recall the very first time I ever saw it. All I know is, in the year 1990, I thought I was Ariel. I mean, Little Mermaid was my life. Ariel was my favorite. I had a Little Mermaid bedspread, Little Mermaid curtains. I used to watch the movie every day, Little Mermaid Barbies. Um, I just really remember being upset, kind of like how little girls are with Frozen now, is how I was with Little Mermaid. I remember watching it all the time, uh, anytime that I could. And Little Mermaid coloring books and, you know, all the memorabilia or whatnot, merchandise that they had. Um, and I just was I just really loved that movie um, and I think a lot of it was is that it is very girl oriented I think we can all agree on that it's more of a girl movie but uh, I just kind of identified with it on several levels first of all I'm very tiny so the whole her being small part really kind of hit home I am at that point I was the youngest my um, little sister hadn't been born yet so I was the youngest of three so I was the littlest girl and we've always been very close with my dad, and Ariel really only had a dad. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of hit home in certain ways. And I, I was very headstrong like she was. I was curious and um, very just strong-willed. And I, I, a lot of the qualities that she possessed I had as well, even though I was very young. And I just kind of identified with her. Um, and now that I'm an adult and I watch the movie... Of course, I love it because it's very sort of nostalgic and it brings back childhood memories, which is always a good feeling. But now it's, I kind of look at it and I really admire it because it was really the first time that Disney had a very strong female lead. Mm -hmm. When you really think about it, I mean, the, the princesses that preceded um, Ariel were Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, and that was it at that time. And all of those women needed men to rescue them. Not Ariel. She went after the man that she wanted. She took matters into her own fins, <laughs> and she went after that. And I really, Ariel is the first like progressive Disney princess in that respect. And I always, I mean, watching that as an adult now, I think that that's pretty cool. It's a good lesson to teach kids, you know, to 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 take risks. She took risks. She was curious. She wanted um, to pursue her dreams or her dream man. And I think that that's uh, really cool watching it now as an adult. Um, also, she looked different physically. And not just because she was a mermaid, obviously, but it was the first Disney princess that had red hair. And actually, I think probably the only. But she had just big eyes and these bright, almost childlike features where the other princesses were more refined. They almost looked like Barbie dolls. And Ariel was, um, she just was different. And that's obviously a reflection of the animation at the time. But I think that the aerial look really kind of transcended Disney and people who came after her like Belle and Jasmine, they, they um, possessed more of those aerial traits and aerial qualities or stronger women, stronger female leads, um, which I just think was, is, is kind of neat to observe. Um, so you would say this is definitely one of those formative movies for you personally. Oh my goodness, absolutely. I mean, yeah. when I was little, I, I've, I've always been very determined and strong-minded and, uh, Absolutely. I mean, all of the qualities that Ariel has, I possessed even at a young age. And so I really identified with her. I mean, I'd seen Cinderella and I'd seen 
Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and, and other movies, but they never got me like The Little Mermaid did. I mean, I saw that, and it was almost like seeing or feeling a part of yourself, you know? And, and I remember even being a kid, that movie just really, I really identified with Ariel, and that stuck with me, um, you know, throughout my whole life. And, I, hey, I mean, Prince, you know, Prince Eric, he's pretty good-looking. And I'm pretty sure now that he set the standard for my taste in men. Because I like tall, dark, and handsome men. <laughs> and they're all kind of look like Prince Eric in their own way. Um, no, but yeah, The Little Mermaid. And, and I think almost any girl that was, you know, in her five, six, I would say between the ages of five and ten, when The Little Mermaid came out, it was definitely prominent in their lives. I mean, you say Little Mermaid to anyone my age, and all the girls are like, oh, I love it, part of your world. You know, it's it's kind of like how Frozen is for the little girls today. It's just it's so it was so powerful and so different, and um, there was just something about it. Whether it be the music or the character, it just stuck. It's timeless. Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of people out there that would agree with you. When I look at lists of right now, of like some of the you know the greatest animated films of all time, on a lot of lists, it, this is either in the middle of that list or towards the top. So it's definitely mm -hmm. a beloved classic for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Scott, uh, I'd like to get your take on this. What was your first, uh, when did you first become aware of Little Mermaid and what was your first impression when you saw it? Well, I, I believe I saw it with you. Yeah, so we're going to have the same story yeah. in this instance. So I guess with a lot of these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, we're brothers, but uh, I believe I don't know who took us to see it. Was that our I, uncle? It was our uncle Gary took uncle us Gary. to see it. See, I, <laughs> I personally, we can we kind of share yeah. this story together. But I personally had no interest in seeing this movie. Unlike where Tony, you were four yeah. years old. I was a thirteen-year-old guy at yeah. that point when I saw the previews for the movie. Like eh. you were past that. Yeah, yeah. I was full-fledged yeah. Batman phase at that point yeah. in my life. Batman was released yeah, in Batman. December of '89, and yeah. I had no interest in seeing The Little Mermaid or a Disney movie in general. It just was not on my radar. But our uncle took us. I think it, since it opened at Thanksgiving, it was probably around that time mm -hmm. that we went to see it. Mm -hmm. So he took us there that week, and I'm, I'm imagining it was probably around that time. And I remember seeing it at the theater. And I hated the movie when I was a kid. At 13, I hated it. It was like, what is this? I have no entry level into this movie whatsoever. It's a lot of singing. It's, it's a, a romance. Yes, it's, it's a contrived yeah. romance. Like, I thought I was thinking in those terms at that time, but I'm like, I, the only thing I think I responded to was the crab to some degree, <laughs> Sebastian. But other than that, I was just like, God, get me out of this movie. I'll say, like, even watching it now... Um, like, back then, I had no concept of the songs, what they were about. Now, mm -hmm. while I watched them, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Why he would sing that there. <laughs> yeah. Outside of Kiss the Girl, all the other songs, I thought just like, oh, this, I just zone out in the songs <laughs> at that period of my life. Because I wasn't interested. I didn't, I didn't like music until later on in life. Well, you were also how old, Scott? You were well, nine. I was nine. Yeah. I was probably nine I mean, years you old. Were even, that was kind of past your time, too, and being a boy. Yeah, was, I, I didn't, yeah. I remember seeing it, and I guess I didn't realize... You know, obviously what you said at the beginning, this was Saving Disney. I had no concept mm -hmm. of that. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of us were supposed to know that was the concept of <laughs> yeah. that movie, to be honest No, but it is interesting, though, because it did start the trend and the entire shift of the animation, uh, their business model, so to speak. Now they, they become more musical-centric. After that, they had, what was it, Beauty mm -hmm. Release was their next release, which is essentially, well, it is a Broadway musical now. Little Mermaid is, too. Um but yeah, and then Lion King and Ala or Aladdin, and then Lion King and you know Hercules and all Pocahontas mm -hmm. and all these other movies that followed, 
they kept that format. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it was more musical. I will say, like, after... I do remember there was a point where I was like, oh, this movie's a big deal. I do remember early on, because just based on they did Beauty and the Beast and they did Lion King, mm-hmm. that I did know that this was being considered uh, a classic Disney movie, like the ones that we had grown up watching, like Pinocchio and... You know, I, I saw Pinocchio and Dumbo were the two movies oh, that I saw. Bambi and, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen Bambi. Um, I hear it's good. Um, but yeah. And that's considered like, you know, one of those old classics. But that's when I, I was like, oh, they're, Disney's making movies again, and these are considered as good as these other movies that they made a long time ago. So that was definitely, and, and I remember having that feeling about the movie, even though I was like, I guess I just don't like Disney movies. <laughs> you know, kind of yeah, that feeling. absolutely. Yeah, to be honest with you, uh, we weren't like a high-profile Disney-going family at the time. Like, we would see the re-releases, like po- when Pinocchio would be re-released or mm-hmm. Bambi would be released in the theaters. I remember kind of seeing those films in the theaters during the course of time. And I think I enjoyed them, but moved on with my life. Like, I don't think Disney was that prominent in our family growing up. As I've gotten older, I've become a much bigger fan of Disney in the sense that I really respect the art of what they accomplished Absolutely. and the vision of mm-hmm. it. And so it's odd. Like, I actually appreciate these movies a lot more now than I did then when I had no interest in it. Um, and I think that's just because the more you read about it, you, you see the amount of work and painstaking work that goes into these movies. This is not ordinary filmmaking. There's a lot of work. It takes years to put these films a- together. Absolutely. And, of course, obviously, I'm a self-admitted aerial aficionado. <laughs> Um, and part of your world is probably one of my top ten favorite songs. No lie. I mean, I just that song is a part of who I am. It was, I remember we had a skylight in our bathroom, and I used to I had like this little tiny like Fisher Price record, you know, like tape player, cassette recorder with a little microphone, and I used to go into the bathroom and close the door, and I had a Little Mermaid soundtrack on cassette. And I would play part of her world, and I would sing it, and I would look up at the skylight and pretend like I was Ariel looking up through her little cavern. And, um, yeah, there's actually a video on YouTube, if anybody's interested out there, because I'm sure some of my girlfriends out there want to see this. Uh, Jody Benson, the woman who voiced Ariel, um, she did her singing voice and her speaking voice. They have, like, a behind-the-scenes take of the recording of Part of Your World. And it's about a 10-minute video, and it's just interesting because uh, I think Alan Menken is in it and uh, Howard, I can't remember his last name, but the two men that composed mm-hmm. all the music. And just they're giving her tips. And, I mean, they worked hours perfecting how they wanted that song to sound, you know, to kind of be breathy and sound like she was singing from a dark and closed space instead of very Broadway over the top. And and it's just interesting to see, but it just goes to, it's a testament of what Sean was saying in terms of not just the animation, but how much work they put into these movies with Mm -hmm. the songs and getting everything just right. It's like, I mean, it's like a lot of claymation. If you see a claymation yeah. movie, um, even if you don't like the movie, you're like, man, this took a long, this <laughs> it took a does. lot of work. There's a lot of work that goes into this. Yeah. And when you're talking about the process of creating Ariel, for example, yeah. uh, the model, oddly enough, for Ariel was Alyssa Milano. Really? Who's the boss? Yeah, that was their oh, model for the basic figure of Ariel. Okay. And the personality, too. They incorporated a lot of that from her Who's the Boss character, I guess. But I, I, I look at I watch okay, it. Okay, I, I have a question. No, I like Melissa Milano. Who they face? Uh... We're gonna get to it. 
I know where he's going use, with this. Did he use any other Who's the Boss character? Is this movie just a just a visit? I would love to see the Tony Danza version of King Triton. Hey! <laughs> hey, can you guys guess who Ursula's based after? I do know who Ursula's based after. I was going to joke and say Anne Hesh. <laughs> Anne Hesh, yes. Anne Hesh. No, but anyway, just real quickly, uh... I think that's cool because I like Alyssa Milano. Not only is she Italian, but she's awesome, and I, I always really liked her. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I watch the movie now, and this is not just because I'm a self-obsessed Audrey Hepburn fan, but I see a lot of Audrey Hepburn qualities in Ariel, and especially the scenes where she can't talk. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to like Eliza Doolittle. Her mannerisms and the expressions and how animated she is and charming. I think. I mean, that's just what I. Well, see I think really. Audrey is the basis for. You know, because Disney, I think, has definitely has a timeless, um, you know, yeah. all their movies have kind of like, you know, there's a timeless that they don't, they don't project what's, I think they do so more now, definitely, movies are more, you know, uh, pop culture reference but back then, Disney, that was frowned upon, you just made the movie based on the, mm-hmm. what's happening in the movie, that world is definitely enclosed. Although they do not shy away from slapstick in this movie. No, There's no, they do not. a lot of slapstick. Yeah, with, with but Scuttle and... Yeah, who, by the way, was voiced Scuttle, the, uh, I think it's the Seagull, right? Yeah, with yeah. Buddy Hackett, right? With Buddy Hackett. Yeah. Uh, my dad's a big Buddy Hackett fan, my dad too. so, yeah. Uh, I think that was one of the saving graces, is about my dad having to watch this movie time after time after yeah. time, was the fact that, you know, he... Like Buddy Hackett. So Buddy Hackett saved this movie. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he did for me, to be honest with you. And I think uh, my dad secretly wanted to be King Triton. Just throwing that out there. Everybody I mean, wants to be King on. Triton. <laughs> people, um, want, people want that buff physique, man. That's what they're going after. I was able to look up some statistics for this movie that we were talking about earlier. Um, this movie, Adjusted for Inflation, made $212 million. Wow. Yeah. Uh, domestically. Do we know what, what uh, maybe like what Frozen or some of the more recent Disney movies made just to compare? Well, yeah, I know Frozen made $400 million. Okay, Yeah, so, that was a huge yeah. hit. Yeah. So that tells you how big Frozen yeah. is. It made $200 more yeah. million than The Little yeah. Mermaid. But I do know that The Little Mermaid in theaters was a big hit, but I'm sure a lot of the following came subsequent on video releases. Because almost every, if you couldn't put it any home in the 90s, Virtually anybody who had uh, little girls had a copy of The Little Mermaid next to their television set. And here, oh, yeah. here's an interesting thing that doesn't happen now. There were six months between when this movie left the theaters and it came out on DVD. Six months. So. A uh, Little Mermaid DVD? Yeah, Little Mermaid was out of theaters and six months later. I mean, that's half a year. Now, you have Little movies Mermaid. that came out in June are coming out on DVD now. And right. also, you have to consider the time. In 1989, it was a different world, meaning. Going to the movie was more of a... I know in my household it was a treat. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were really lucky yeah. for the movies. We, you know, that was a privilege. And nowadays it just kind of seems like it's something to do when you're bored. Everybody's going to the movies. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not surprised that Frozen, like, made double that. I think if, you know, Frozen... If we if Frozen was the one that came out first on Little Mermaid now, I wonder if the numbers would be flip-flopped. Um, yeah, because it was just a different time then. People didn't... Um, go out as much in that respect. They didn't, I guess, use a lot of their disposable income and entertainment and things of that nature. People were a little bit more, um, I don't want to say reserved about it, but they kind of were. Nowadays, it just seems like, well, uh, you know what I mean? People are just kind yeah. of spending money and it's just... Hey, you're looking at that guy. Killed his charge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those guys <laughs> that sees things. Well, it was only the 13th uh, highest rank, highest grossing movies of that year. Now, what came out in Thanksgiving, and I only had a month to go. But exactly. you make most of your money in that. Well, you think week. about it. That was for only being out for six weeks. 
Well, it wasn't out to six good. weeks. It was six months between the theatrical release and home video release. No, no, no. I meant for the end of that year. Yeah. Because it came out in November oh, yeah, absolutely. So for only being yeah. out for six weeks, I mean, the fact that it made that statistic is pretty remarkable in and of itself. And it wasn't a lot less theaters than they have now. They have more theaters. Yeah, exactly. The only thing that would help it is... Um, I think people may have gone to movies more because he didn't have Netflix. He didn't have all these things. So if but, you want to see a movie, but it was a kids' movie, so that's mm-hmm. what I mean. If it was an adult movie, that's different. But for parents to take their kids to the theater, I feel like it's more commonplace now than it was back then. Is what I'm saying. You know, that might be. You know what I mean? Yeah. People didn't really take because they're their kids. People, families yeah. didn't take go out with kids and 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 whatnot more so like they do now. I feel like. Well, I also take into account that Disney probably didn't expect it to be as big as it was. Remember, yeah. they were struggling up to that yeah. point, mm-hmm. and so the Little Mermaid making like two hundred million in, in the equivalent of today's dollars was probably a huge deal for Disney. And there was also not social media. Mm-hmm. There was also not all these other external factors to help the movie along, like with Frozen. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm dissing Frozen. Don't <laughs> I like it. I'm just saying, you know, I think when you consider the times, it's mm-hmm. really impressive. Yeah. You have to realize the impact this had on Disney Studios at that yeah. point, the animation studios, they went from having like 300 animators to 2,200 after the release yeah. of this movie. This movie changed everything for the animated studios. It did. And then they released um, Beauty and the Beast later, which was um, designed to be a Broadway musical. In fact, they actually hired Broadway stars to sing the parts. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they really, you know, raised the bar. And that was Ashman and Mencken to, again. And, mm-hmm. and now Howard Ashman died like right before the release of Breeding the Beast, but those two movies, and I think they worked on Aladdin during that time, yeah. those were all, he was the brainchild of that. He's really the genius, in a way, behind the Disney Renaissance, creatively. Yeah. He's the one who really pushed for that new format, to bring them back to the to the fairy tale, you know, fairy tale storylines, sure. and uh, and to bring those Broadway-styled musical numbers into, into mm-hmm. the films. Which was great. I think that was a great business strategy. Yeah, we want to talk about the the movie that we just we just watched this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just took a look at this. Um, my impression of this movie is like looking at it now versus the thirteen year old Sean from nineteen eighty nine. I have kind of conflicting viewpoints on it. On the one hand, like knowing the backstory, and I'm really fascinated by the backstory of this movie just because of how significant it was to the studio. Uh, I do see how. Um, how the movie would mean so much to so many people, especially for you, Tony, when you talk about it, I could see how, on a personal level, this movie reached you, and I think it reached a lot of people. Um, I think the distance I have from it is the movies that I always responded to, especially animated films, are movies that really didn't deal with, like, monarchies or fairy tale oriented yeah. storylines. I always tend to like the ones that kind of move away from that, that formula. I like uh, movies, kind of like the Pixar films, like Inside oh, Out, yeah. just as an example of a movie that seems really imaginative. And The Little Mermaid is definitely formulaic, at the very least, for what Disney was used to. And that's not even a criticism, that's more of... For that time, too. You have to consider the time. Yes. You know, Pixar is so, I mean, 1989. That wasn't even a in anyone's eye, you know? Yeah, it was probably in the burgeoning stages, if anything, at that point. Um, So, I have that going. And I would say this. I do agree with you on Ariel because I think Ariel does have a personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Snow White because I think Snow White is vintage. The look of Snow oh, White. absolutely. The very first one. But when he, her voice is like this. Yeah. She waits for the prince to come save her. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, how did you hate that? That's great. Right. Ariel, man, she's not 
sacrifices her voice yeah, to right. get the man that she wants, and she got him. Mm-hmm. Right, and so I, I, I do agree with you on that front, because um, even the eyes, like Ariel's eyes are very distinct for mm-hmm. a Disney princess. They're wide-eyed, it's very expressive. Absolutely. Uh, there are a lot of quirks to, to Ariel yes. that you don't get with... I can't even remember the name of the princess from Be- Sleeping Beauty, for example. Aurora was her name. And, yeah. and if I remember from that movie, she has well, no she bearing on anything. No, and that's <laughs> what I mean. I think I've always been, um, one, an old soul, and two, an exceptionally strong-minded child. You can ask anyone that knew me back then. I've always been fiercely independent, had definite opinions and values and views on things that I always stood by, and I saw that in Ariel. That was the first Disney character that I can really recall seeing that in, especially a female lead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Snow White is very classic and vintage, and I respect it for what it is, for the the fact that it was Disney's you know first film, and it, it, I, I I appreciate that and I respect it. But as a woman and looking at it from a character perspective, you're right. Ariel is so much more defined, so much more thought out, um, and that could be a reflection of the times and the advancements that were made. But yeah. we all have Lisa Milano to thank for this, by the way. Huh? That's, that's we all have Lisa Milano to thank for this. Yes, we so. do. <laughs> Yay. But uh, but no, and, and that's I totally agree with you. And I think one of the things that I found in Ariel, um, aside from like a kindred spirit, was that I felt like at that point she was one of the first Disney princesses that was quasi-humanistic. You know, Snow White, Cinderella, just their faces and just things about them. It didn't quite seem real or human. But Ariel, um, especially in the second half of Little Mermaid where she couldn't speak, was so expressive. And you just couldn't, she was so charming. You know, you couldn't help but like her or want to root for her or feel kind of like that's what I would do if I were in this situation, you know. Yeah, and uh, what I, I think that Ariel does have a lot of personality and she has flaws too, let's face mm. it. Her actions, right? They don't result in, in the in the best scenario for all involved. I, well, let me get into something here. Um. <laughs> well, real quick, she was also sixteen. Remember, she said, "I'm yeah, sixteen. See, so consider that. I mean, we all did not make I, smart decisions when we were sixteen. I have a lot of issues with her father, King Trek. <laughs> All right, we're right. The movie starts off where Triton is essentially having a concert with his daughter, singing about how great he is. <laughs> It's Which true. is so creepy on its essence. It was his birthday. <laughs> I don't throw a birthday for myself. All right. I, I, get, I can see what so um, I forget that he wrote it on three dolphins. It has his daughters who are only wearing a bra singing song. Coming out of shells. <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't know what the, there's a different culture under the sea. I know that so there's a song about that. Yes, <laughs> um, that puts it in great detail how great it is. I just think. But he was a reasonable merman. Well, he was really upset that his he's got eight daughters. <laughs> if number nine's not there, he just set them off. Yeah, especially that one. Yeah. Apparently, she's the one he likes the most too. So he made that point. Yeah. I feel bad for the rest of the sisters. They are just throwaways. He doesn't care about her. They were just fillers. They're just right. fillers. He sends a crab to follow Ariel everywhere. He does not give a shit about the other daughters at all. Okay. Well, let me just point this out, too, okay. because I've seen Little Mermaid 2, mm-hmm. Return to the Sea, mm-hmm. starring Ariel and Eric and okay. their daughter, Melody, who yeah. wants to be a mermaid instead of a human. Okay. So it's like a you know, flip-flop. Mm-hmm. But they actually give a little bit of backstory about Ariel and why she doesn't have a mother. As you notice, there was no mother, mm-hmm. and why the father despised humans as much as he did. It turns out that Ariel's mother is essentially Ariel. She really was fashioned after her mother, so she's probably the child that is 
mm-hmm. the most like the mom. So that could be a reason why he favors her. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ariel's mother was killed by humans. They were having, like the mermaids, the family were having some kind of little outing and they were sitting up on rocks and, you know, the little, they were baby mermaids. So Ariel was like a baby mermaid mm-hmm. and they were playing and whatnot. And then all of a sudden these humans came on the ship with like arrows and were, mm-hmm. you know, attacking them essentially. And, and all of them escaped. And, um, Ariel had like a little music box and something about the mu- the music box fell. And then the mom went back to get it because, um, it was Ariel's favorite toy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when she went back to get it, she got murdered. And so that explains why King Triton totally despises humans. So it makes more sense. I mean, I wish they almost put that in the first one, but it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, because he comes off as just a racist man. Yeah, and, and let's face it, that's a flaw in a movie that if we have to go to yeah. the sequel for a backstory yeah. ten years later, the movie should be doing that job. Straight the video sequel. Right. Is that video considered an official mermaid canon, by the way, the, the sequel? Or is that kind of dismissed I think it was straight to DVD. So they could probably... Just depending on how many people but saw it. I'm very excited to announce that Jodie Benson came back to do Ariel. So oh, that's nice. Yeah. For all of us Ariel fans, that was exciting. Yeah, congratulations <laughs> to Jodie Benson. That was exciting. But yeah, as, uh, King Triton is... Uh, I mean, he does redeem himself at the end of the movie, definitely. You know, but um, And maybe the way that humans are portrayed in this movie, I could see that they would have some... Issues with them? Uh, no, in the backstory now. Yeah, no, in the backstory. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, the first time you see humans, they're on a ship and they're, you know, they're. Um, Aren't they like partying? They're throwing fish around and they're partying. And I don't know what they were doing on that boat. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. What was the point of that mission in the first place? I think place? it was Prince Eric's birthday, and that's why he gave him that statue. Remember? Here's another thing I don't know. It seems like every big event, they get on the boat and they get the hell away from wherever they live. A wedding, they get on the boat and they go out. If it's a birthday, they go out to sea. It's like they're trying to. Well, they lived obviously, and that's another thing yeah. I'd like to find out. I don't know if we could. If it's even out there, but we were talking about where it was where it was supposed to be, geographically, and I'm wondering if it was Greece or somewhere in the Mediterranean, based on the style mm-hmm. of the castle and just the fact that you know the ocean seemed very clear. And so I'm thinking it might be Mediterranean. So being out on a boat is essentially like a lifestyle thing for them. I think yeah. So it you looks know, like I, mean, a so- I would guess south of France because they the bread that they were holding that's what and I was the thinking, cook and the, and the chef was the, French. Like, again, yeah, the, the accents are all over the place. <laughs> the accents are all over the place. Yeah. It's Mediterranean. It's definitely yeah. a cosmopolitan area because you have a French chef, uh-huh. you have an English butler or assistant or whatever yeah. uh, Grimsley happens Grimsley, to be. Yeah. And then Prince Eric is American. Like <laughs> he has no Ariel, accent whatsoever. Yeah, Ariel is kind of neutral too. Ac- and uh, King Triton, I can't really. Oh, and in. Sebastian was Jamaican. <laughs> Sebastian was Jamaican. What so. you want to know his backstory? How did he get there? <laughs> and the seagull was a quirky, crusty old comic. So you have all that going for you. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> as far as uh, the movie goes, um, I agree with you on King Triton. It's kind of interesting because as hardcore as he is, he's always depending on Sebastian for advice. Sebastian, am I too hard on her? Yeah. Sebastian, what do you think is going on here? Well, I think that's too a reflection the fact that he doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have someone to consult. Mm-hmm. Think about it. You know, he's raising nine girls. They were all girls. Nine girls on his own. I mean, I recall from my childhood with my dad and my two older sisters. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's got to be tough on a guy. I mean, you're not yeah. sure. This is a totally different breed of human that you're dealing with and you yeah. know you know I, I, also the undersea village you know why do they have walkways 
I saw a uh, walk They were like floataways. You don't really need those. They would be very constrictive. You could, you know, because you can swim. You can go anywhere up, down. There's no, you know, you, you don't need those. Um, it was for, you know, it was, it was aesthetically pleasing. Absolutely. I, I mean... I mean, there's a lot of the anatomy of the mermaids. How do they breathe? Do they breathe, you know? Well, they're, like, mostly fish. They're mostly fish. So that's why they can yeah. breathe in the water, I'm assuming. They're fish that can be attracted to humans, obviously. They well, it's kind of like a, um, a centaur. Mm-hmm. They're human and horse, so I imagine they have qualities or attributes of both. What if she saw right? a centaur? <laughs> That would be. Would she go to Ursula to have her change her lower abdomen? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so most of them are fish, but somehow we have a sea... Half octopus, octopus, half woman, yeah. half drag queen, actually. Because uh, where is this mating happening? <laughs> like, where is these animal human matings? That who are these people's parents? Like, Ursula has to come from something. Another octopus. Uh, an octopus. An octopus and a drag queen mated in the sea, and then he can name up with Ursula as their. Uh, I want to see her family, her backstory. I like that she had a, a defined butt. Mm-hmm. Do you notice yeah. that? I didn't enjoy it as much as you did, but yes, I did. Okay, so when we were little, my sister Jackie and I, because, you know, we used to watch all the time, we always used to laugh, and I used to impersonate Ursula, and I'd be like, body language, you know, and I'd Uh, do that like her. mm -hmm. But if you look, she actually has a somewhat of a defined butt, and I always thought that was kind of impressive for the animators. Yeah, Um, I mean, they really... That wasn't the only, you know, um, foul thing that they snuck into... That movie in the original version, you know. Well, you, about uh, it. oddly enough, Ursula as a character was based off of uh, Divine, who was a, a drag queen who had appeared on a lot of John Waters films in the seventies and had definitely a cult feeling, Yes, mm-hmm. and the I original, <laughs> the original voice the studio had in mind for Ursula was B. Arthur. Ah, <gasps> that's right. And she yes. turned it down. Well, wasn't she doing Golden Girls? She yeah. was at the time. And that was a Disney-owned television series. Mm. So it made perfect sense for them to go to be Arthur. She also had a bo- background in Broadway, I think. And, and she had that real deep, almost, I don't yeah. want to say scary voice, but you could definitely see her as a villain. The, the, the voice, voice, of, the voice yeah. of Ursula was definitely a take off of Ursula. Maybe just exaggerated. The author. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it was voiced by Pat Carroll, who also had a... Background on Broadway, you know, very prominent Broadway actress. She did a great job, actually. Ursula is, and Ursula is an interesting villain. I don't think she's ultra, ultra scary like some Disney villains are, like like Maleficent. Mm -hmm. But uh, she's scary enough, but she's also kind of wry and campy. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a good mixture of that. Like when she's like that little tramp, and she's just like slouching around. Yeah, she's kind of humorous in a way. She is. She's she's just as humorous as she is threatening. Mm -hmm. I I don't really agree with her on the Soul Garden. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Even if I was a villain and I went to people's schools, I would want to put them somewhere where I don't have to look at shriveled up heads. Okay, she doesn't take their souls. She actually just takes their bodies in a way. Because I'm assuming their souls are still. Encapsuled in those little, well, those little bodies that, that they are. Right? Yeah, because they have eyes and they're looking around. And it seems like they're sensing emotion, right? Oh yeah, you can I definitely mean, sense emotion from those things. And they, they tie themselves to the yeah. people. They're very creepy. Like know. when Ursula swam by, remember they were all like acting like they were scared. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that is actually. I mean, I was confused by that aspect. I did not yeah. know what Ursula's ultimate yeah. game was with. Those well, she wanted to be the queen or queen of the sea. Yeah, that I got it towards and, the end. And those people, I think, were honestly, I think they were kind of put in just to frighten children a little. Yeah, just to give you like the, the sense that she was the villain and that this is scary. You know, like, yeah, you uh, can kind of get that sense without those things. Well, honestly, yeah. she wasn't. You know, I give this to Ursula. She she was not a for a villain. She wasn't that deceitful. She, she actually she gave, gave Ariel it, a chance. She gave yeah. Ariel the straight up. 
411 on what she was doing. But, she, but <laughs> she did trick with she turning did. into that other girl and, you know. Yeah, she, she, she kind of, yeah. but she stuck to, she did give, if she did kiss Eric, Ariel the rose would, if, yeah, if Ariel would kiss Eric, mm-hmm. uh, she would have. I am under the assumption. But she, she no, she wouldn't. I don't think that it was really ever in her plan. If it was, she wouldn't have disguised herself. She knew Ariel was going to end up kissing Eric, and so she did that to. Well, she did say that it, this is she's better than I thought she exactly. was. Exactly. So, and she goes, "I'm going to take this into my own it matters into my own tentacles." But what I'm saying is, if Eric, if she happened to kiss Eric, that, who? If that who contract, is she? Who? Ariel. If Ariel were to kiss, kiss Eric... She was going to in the boat, remember? Yeah. And then Ursula sent Fretzum and Jetsum to flip the boat. Well, that's what I mean. If she would have kissed him, the contract would have stopped. Absolutely. Hold, so. And that's why... That's why yeah. I don't think Ursula ever intended on giving Ariel a fair chance. If she did, then it would have been over in the boat. Mm-hmm. Ariel would have kissed Eric, and that would have been it. Mm-hmm. I just like that they had an actual contract in the sea for <laughs> yeah. this deal. Yeah. Like, it was an actual paper contract. And and it was the one thing that he couldn't obliterate with his trident. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is probably one of my major flaws with the film. And just for all the listeners out there, forgive me. I used to have speech problems when I was younger, and I couldn't pronounce my R's properly. And I still sometimes have issues, but I especially have issues if there's an R and an L. So, like, saying Ariel really quickly and things, I get a little fumbled, so bear with me. But, um, so one of my major flaws with the film was, okay, so Ariel could clearly write her name. She wrote it on the contract. Why didn't she write Eric like a letter saying, "Hey, I am the dream girl that saved you. I'm that person. I just temporarily don't have a voice until you kiss me." So, do you think you can kiss me and we could speed up this process a little bit? Well, I think part of the problem is that Eric never offered her paper or a pen to write on in the <laughs> first place. For some reason, it never occurred to him. And that gets to my uh, a take on Eric in general. It's traditionally. Disney leading men mm-hmm. in animation are boring. They have zero personality, and I think Eric fits right into it. He doesn't really have a personality. He's just there to fall in love with Ariel. It would but be nice if they peppered it up with... Uh, Eric's a very bored person. On yeah, Prince. he was. He does a lot of knocking on <laughs> playing the flute. But okay, I'm playing the flute. Okay, but again, to defend my movie here, um, all things considered, I do agree with that statement. I think most of the Disney princess, princess, princes are pretty empty and pretty boring. But I will say at least this much for Eric. At least he was the first Disney prince that had some sense of adventure and some sense of some sense of personality. You know, Prince Charming, dull, boring. The same one, I don't even remember his name. I think it was Prince Philip in Sleeping Beauty. The, the prince in Snow White really wasn't even in it that much. I don't even remember. I don't think he had a name. At least Prince Eric had an identity. And at the end, he fought for Ariel, remember? And, you know, he did have scenes in the movie where he would talk. And um, it seemed like he had some... Disney was moving in that direction with Mm -hmm. Prince Eric. It was... I think their main focus was really focusing, you know, emphasizing the strong female lead, Ariel. Mm -hmm. But I do think that he was probably one of the first Disney princes um, next to Aladdin who definitely would be superior to Prince Eric, but that kind of had a personality, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of... Well, I think this seemed... is why this movie would speak to women more than, you know, young girls yeah. or young boys, because there's no, there's really nothing in this movie that a boy can relate to. Mm-hmm. You can't, I mean, Prince Eric was more... He was kind yeah, of it, a... Yeah. He, did, he did more stuff that I think that they think little girls would be into, like, saving, saving Ariel, me. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. he wasn't, uh... 
there wasn't like he wasn't cool in a way that little boys would be like. Well, neither was the princes in any of the movies no. that we just talked about. So I think Eric, at least Disney was stepping in that direction, and they took it a little bit farther with Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. The Beast had a little bit of depth, mm-hmm. and then they really honed it with Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Aladdin was kind of the first Disney prince that had a strong sense of identity and purpose and. Yeah, you know? I, I, I think you do see that um, that evolution with Disney. Uh, but really, the side characters, I think, what, what make Disney movies for a lot of mm-hmm. people. And I think Sebastian is kind of an underrated character in a way. I agree. I think he's the strongest character yeah. in a movie. He's the one I identify with the most. I think he's the one I get a kick out of the most. I certainly sympathize with him. I don't think he's the strongest character in the movie. I disagree with you on that. Oh. Ariel, come on. <laughs> Just well, say yes and we'll move on. <laughs> you can have your Ariel poster, I'll have my Sebastian poster, you know. Because yes. I like Jamaican crap, what can I say? Ariel put Sebastian through a lot of crap. No, yeah, Ariel yeah. didn't. He happened to just fall into bad fortune. She didn't send him on that, you know, send him to the I know you're on Team Ariel, but let's face it, she was not exactly a saint with Sebastian. Hey, she never made him come with what? her. He jumped, okay, let me just say this. When she was in that little get-up with the, you know, ship raft and the ropes and whatnot... He jumped in her pocket. He made that choice to come mm-hmm. with her. Well, I mean, he was in debt to King Triton. He was scared of King Triton, you know. I think he cared about Ariel as well, and mm-hmm. I think he wanted to make sure she was okay, yeah. especially because she couldn't speak. You know, I think it was important to him to be there. He, like I said, he just kind of happened to fall into some, you know, unfortunate situations. Right, right. I do want to mention it because you were talking about Ariel earlier, and this is not necessarily a point that I share, but I have read, read criticisms of the movie, especially mm-hmm. from... Uh, female fans who feel that Ariel is too dependent on finding a man. Like, in, in one sense, there is a lot of progression, like you said, mm-hmm. in the fact that she does have a personality. She's proactive. She goes after what she wants. She doesn't wait for other people to yeah. you know, give her something. But people do have a problem that she, and, and a lot with a lot of Disney princesses, that they are too dependent on finding a man instead of finding themselves. I somewhat disagree, because when you look at Ariel in the beginning of the movie, she longed to be a human before she ever saw Prince Eric. Hence her cavern of treasures. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be a part of that world. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. She wanted to, to explore other things. She had a sense of desire for that human life before she even knew Prince Eric. And her personality never changed before or after Eric. She just happened to see him fall in love. And I think it was a combination of being a teenager with hormones, getting into a fight with her dad. She did that as an act of rebelliousness. Had her dad never came in there and ruined her room of treasures and smashed that statue, would it have been a different story? Probably. She would have just lusted over him and it would have maybe been the end of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand and I respect that point, um, especially in today's highly progressive feministic world. But I disagree because I really think that, uh, that um, Ariel had a strong sense of self before Eric. And during him, and even at the end, you know, when she hugged her dad and said thank you, and her family was all there, she still had a sense of being that mermaid and knowing who she was, and um, that's kind of my my opinion on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, you know, I think Ariel is a particularly interesting character. Mm-hmm. I think she has to be considered one of the most iconic Disney princesses because Absolutely. you see Ariel everywhere, like because uh, she has a very distinct look. She has red hair. How many princesses, like you said, have had yeah. red hair? Um, you know, big she's a mermaid. <laughs> That's a big, distinct quality there. And she does have a very expressive face. Like you said, the big eyes and, you know, kind of the wide-eyed, you know, exciting. Like doe-eyed, like very, very um, childlike. 
She's very childlike, you know. And, uh, what about the... We talked about some of the other characters. What about the animals in, in this movie? Okay, so... Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> I don't know if it's how they view some of the animals, but a lot of the animals can speak, especially the seafaring animals. Or they can talk. Now, when we see that fish in the beginning of the movie, on the surface, it was just like any fish that we would see. Then was thrown in the water, and it just gained a personality that we had not seen when it was being held by that fisherman. Well, think about it. As humans, we don't see personalities of... Okay, for example, if my cat Sabrina could speak, Mm -hmm. first of all, that would be amazing. (laughs) She would be even more of my best friend than she is now. But if she could speak, let's say she could speak, and she could only speak when she was, you know, I don't know, locked in a closet in the company of other animals. Mm -hmm. She She would completely transform. She wouldn't be the same Sabrina that she mm-hmm. is when she's with me, quiet, and I can't understand what, her. You know, it, it would be different, I think. What about Max the dog, though? Max the dog is a dog in this mm-hmm. movie. He's very much a dog. There's no talking. He does dog stuff. He licks people, and he's, he's well, doggy I, all the way through. No comedian gives him a voice. <laughs> no, no, no. He doesn't get a voice. He's just a dog. True, you know. Um, but I think, I think, and I could be wrong, of course, I didn't conceptualize this movie, but one of the really key elements of the film is the underwater, the world underwater, the mystery and the magic of the underwater kingdom. And so my guess is the reason that the animators chose not to give the dog a voice and to have him just be a normal dog is because they wanted to make a clear distinction between the magical element of being underwater and the realistic element of being on land. And on land, dogs don't normally talk. You know, mm-hmm. underwater, fish, we, we don't know. We're not underwater mm-hmm. creatures. And I think that adds just that fun, childlike wonder mm-hmm. and that imaginative um, sense that, oh, wow, these fish do, they are people and they have a life under here and so on and so on. And that's just my guess. Well, the gateway would be Scuttle, who's in both land yeah, and sea, exactly. so I guess he can speak. Yeah, I guess it was just that fish at the beginning. Did you guys notice that when that fish was thrown he wasn't in the water? Ta- yeah, he wasn't talking, though, or anything. On the, on the land. Yeah. He didn't talk, but when he got in the water, he's like, he was like, he, 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 exactly. was that personification when an animal yeah. takes on? Yeah. Another thing I noticed, um, this is just in, is how unsafe the boat that Prince Eric is on the beginning of the movie on this boat, there is <laughs> explosives. That's true. <laughs> I mean, they have... What were they doing? Where were uh, they going? I, I, you said they were celebrating his birthday or whatever. No, that was on the, that's the scene where Ariel first sees him. That's why Grimsby gives him that gift, because it was his birthday. Oh, yes, yes. The very, very intro beginning. I don't have no clue what's happening on that boat. Yeah, I don't know. But it's, it's his birthday, yeah. and uh, they're sitting off fireworks, which yeah. this boat's made out of wood. I don't know if it's a great <laughs> idea. And Fireworks were a big deal back then. Okay. And they were completely <laughs> unaware of, I mean, even this, if this is based in the 19th century, which I, I just read that this, they based this off 19th century Mediterranean. So this is where... So I was right. Yeah, Mediterranean. Tony was right on the spot. Even though it's, it's a... It's Greek. I thought yeah, so. But it's, yeah. it, even though it's a, a Danish fairy tale, I don't think Denmark would be a great... <laughs> Visual location for but only contours to no, names. No, but that. that scene when they go into town, it looks more Denmark like than Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah, that scene where they're dancing yeah. in town and whatnot. But anyways, uh, the I mean, they're, they're having this big celebration, and then they get blindsided by a hurricane. 
And, and I know this is a kids' movie; it doesn't really have to be. But like, hurricanes are very slow. Number one, you know them coming. If these are these are people that live on the sea. I mean, we've seen them. They they, they uh, but they do a what lot did of you just say? What year was what century was this supposed to be dated in? Well, even back then, they were aware. They didn't of hurricanes. have meteorologists back then. But hurricanes are very slow moving. They they would they would know what these they would be taken by surprise by a hurricane. They could actually, if they knew, they could see out in the distance. They could go the other direction, and. Honey, I think you're thinking too much this isn't about movie. this. This is the kids' movie. Kids are not concerned about <laughs> Well, maybe, they missed, maybe, maybe it wasn't a hurricane. Maybe it was just a really bad storm. Probably what it was. But you did say hurricane a coming. It, it is. There, there is a flaw in the meteorology of the movie, yes. Like they and I make a stand on the meteorology. That's one thing, that's one thing that, uh, that, that, that Clemens and Musker should have realized when they were directing the movie, that the hurricanes are Too much music, moving. not enough science, is what I say. Right, exactly. <laughs> the science in this, this is the, the science in this movie, you know, with underdog merman, underwater merman, and mm-hmm. non-talking dogs, which is accurate, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, one of the things I really do love about the movie is the underwater sequences, which mm-hmm. I think are gorgeous. The animation in this film, yeah. I think, stands out in the underwater sequences. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of really want to stay more in that world, mm-hmm. honestly, than the main plot of the story, which is... You know, on land. So, and I think kind of tying into what I said earlier, I think that was their purpose, because we're all humans. We know what this life is like. Mm-hmm. So the intrigue for us is to see what it's like under there. The opposite of Ariel, we want to be under there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think they definitely put more focus and emphasis on that because the scenes when it was on land, even though it was nice imagery, it was still quasi bland yeah. compared to the the vividness of below. Right. Exactly. That's that's exactly my point too. Is like I think there's a lot more vibrancy in the water mm-hmm. sequences than there are in the uh, mm-hmm. on land. And, yeah, uh, and no, that's definitely true. And the song "Under the Sea" is just a great. I mean, that's that's the type, that's the type of song where I just watched it as a kid. It's just like, oh, they're doing dance stuff, and it's like, oh, he's telling her it's, the grass isn't always greener. Look at how great this yeah. is. You just yeah. think this life is great, and I guess that is a point that isn't. Um, you would think, and I think a more modern movie is like, you know, um, you know, where people say, hey, I want to, I want to do this thing. You know, I want to, I want to go and, you know, the grass is always greener and then you find out that the grass, it's, you know, they, this other world has its problems too. Mm-hmm. That point wasn't really made in this. She wanted to be a human and she gave and it was great, you know, and it, Well, you know, I don't really necessarily know if she wanted to be a human per se, like 100%. I think she just wanted to explore that world. Mm-hmm. And the fact that her father pretty much exiled that entire mm-hmm. idea, that as a teenager, if someone tells you you can't do that, you're going to want to do it more. Mm-hmm. It's part yeah. of our makeup, you yeah. know, our DNA. And, and I think that it had a lot to do with she wanted to explore it and just know more about it and learn about it. I don't necessarily know if that was her intent all along, was I want to be a human and that's my, I'm not going to stop till I'm a human. I think a lot of it was that she just got derailed in a sense by falling in love with Eric. And that was just by, you know, by virtue of doing that. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, who made her a human? Her father. Mm-hmm. She didn't, you know, she was just looking at him and she seemed sad but a little content. Like, okay, this is life. And, and then he said, you know, she really loves him and I want to make her happy. She's my daughter. And he gave that to her. Um, so, you know, I think it was more so maybe she was like curious. I don't necessarily know if that was her intent 100%. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you know? I think that's a good point to make is that she was just curious about it. She didn't necessarily that this was a exactly. that was an option yeah. that was presented to her yeah. by a, a half octopus half human person. Well, it's kind of like you know, I'm a great example. I'm an old soul. Mm-hmm. You know, part of me wishes. Are you um, a poor, unfortunate soul? <laughs> I don't yeah, know, yeah. but a part of me always right. wishes that you know I could have lived in the in the golden era of Hollywood that I could have been in old Hollywood and mm-hmm. been in the 1950s and lived that life. But would it necessarily be better than it is now? I don't know. You know, it's kind of that same. It's that same feeling. I think that Ariel experienced was well, not yeah. necessarily thinking that it would be greener, but just that curiosity of feeling like you connect with that. Well, more. if she connected with a homeless guy, I don't think this would go as far as. Yeah, that. I think that's not so much. Having him, him be a like, prince, really. I want a hot guy. Okay, but wait a minute. She yeah. didn't know he was a prince. <laughs> She did not know. That's the whole point. I don't think she mattered. I think she just wanted a hot guy. I just yeah. she, it wasn't yeah. just a hot guy. I think that was something to do with him. Yeah, his personality was. Really oh, stop! <laughs> he did have a, she did see him when he had a statue. She of his, <laughs> he was being presented with a statue of himself, so she knew he had some status. Well, yeah. but, you know, whatever. You and guys are guys. You don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> she really liked that statue of him, though. She was. Well, she was excited because it looked like him. It yeah. was, it was she, a, you know. She wasn't gunning for Grimsby. Let's put it that way, you know, and that. Was another human she encountered. So Grimsley, I think yeah. <laughs> Grimsley is the thinnest man I've ever seen. <laughs> he is a very thin man <laughs> with a ponytail, not no less. Well, I think they. I, you know, I could be wrong. Of course, I maybe they. But I. Um, one of the reasons that he could be thin is because he looked older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, that yeah. was why he was dying basically. <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> but I mean, I think they wanted to distinguish that he was older and Eric was younger, so they gave him more of a. Um, <laughs> He's, he's yeah, dying. You know, muscle and whatnot. He was on his last legs and, you know. This was the last run for Grimsby. We were watching this movie. It's we never really... did see him again. That's true. No. And that's the thing. Like, okay, like the ending of this movie, as we all know, is Ariel finally does become human. They're mm-hmm. able to break the deal with Ursula. And she marries Prince Eric because mm-hmm. King Triton realizes mm-hmm. this is really what makes her happy. He really shows us that he's a reasonable merman at that point. He does. He does. And a loving father. And a loving father. I believe in earlier in the movie he did say, I've tried to be a tolerant merman, but not Yeah, he did. Not now. Yeah. He broke stuff and then regretted it. The ending of the movie, though, even tonight, I don't know if you guys saw, but I teared up. I just, I think being a girl and being, you know, predominantly raised by my dad and just this whole movie itself has just been such a part of my life. Mm -hmm. I always tear up at the end, you know, and... They start playing, like, the operatic version of Part of Your World, and Ariel hugs her dad. She says, I love you, Daddy, and she whispers it, and he just kind of puts his little, his hand under her chin, and mm-hmm. that just touches me, you know? I mean, being a woman, and I'm not married, but I can only imagine the day when I do get married, just that emotion of, mm-hmm. I just think it's beautiful. Right. I think it's a beautiful moment. Yes, I also agree. <laughs> it, was a, it was a beautiful, touching moment between the... Tolerant merman and his daughter. Well, I think I think women today that are my age that grew up with this movie, whether you're married or unmarried, I think they can look at that and appreciate. Mm-hmm. You know, it just always gets me. It always makes me tear up just because it's. I like happy endings, and you yeah. know, I just yeah. think it's sweet. Well, what do you guys? What's your final analysis of this movie? Well, uh, one thing I wanted to get into too are the songs, which are a huge oh. part of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's talk and about that. Uh, I. I'll be honest with you, the songs in this movie I'm probably not the target demographic for, because um, part of your world, you know, it definitely feels like one of those kind of overblown torch song for me when I listen to it. And the lyrics always, I always found kind of interesting, like, what about that thingamabob, or 
Oh, this thing looks exactly. Uh, I just, I, 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 it was not, I'm really not somebody that's going to have like a strong emotional response to that, but I do love Under the Sea. I think it's a great mm-hmm. pop song. No matter how you do it, it's a well-constructed song. It's, it's, there's a lot of energy to it. Yeah. I remember that being played on several Carnival Cruise Line commercials, I think in the early yeah. 90s yeah. or something. It was a really, became kind of a staple. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiss the Girl is another pretty popular one from that as well that folks mm-hmm. tend to like it's the shot it's kind of poppy yeah and I, I like that song a lot actually too you know the more Jamaican flavored you know reggae yeah. flavored song I tend to respond to couldn't really get my mind around a, the French cook song the kind of flat line for me yeah. I think that was more of a comic really yeah. yeah with the crab running around and him trying to kill it and the Ursa song is good or in Fortress Souls I was going to bring that up song. too that's yes. a great song of course, I'm very partial to Part of Your World, but mm. I do really love the um, Ah song. I, mm. It's not really a song, I guess, but mm. I just think it's beautiful. And I remember being little, wanting to, I would always do that. The Ariel only has one song in the movie. Yeah, Part of wow. Your World. Wow. It's a s- Actually, let me just say this. The Part of Your World reprise, mm-hmm. which is the, um, it's probably about a minute long. It's the part that's played when she's perched up on that rock right after she saves Prince Eric. Mm-hmm. And it, I just, oh my goodness. That's probably my favorite part in the whole movie. I just, I love that reprise. And I just think it's really powerful. And I, it just really sets the stage for the second half of the movie. You know, and she's like, I don't know when. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, it just, and then the part when she kind of lifts herself up and the water comes crashing mm-hmm. through. It's just perfect. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the songs are well-constructed. You can clearly see that this was a formula that Disney was going to utilize yeah. going forward. And, uh, you know, my personal favorite, of course, is Under the Sea, as I said before. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it's good. I mean, I can only imagine what that movie would be like now with all the technology and the advancements that have been made. And even just the whole entire shift of Disney. Because um, The Little Mermaid was at the forefront of that. So just think how ima- just awesome the movie could be now, mm-hmm. if it were made now. Yeah, you know, like it would be. You know, and maybe it would lose a little bit of its charm too. I agree. Yeah, you know, I, after I said that, I thought you know I, I like it the way it is. I think. You know, movies are of their time, and mm-hmm. there's always positive, and negative. Um, but yeah, I agree with you know both of you that the songs are really well crafted. Really, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not the biggest musical fan. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm surprised because this movie was based around the songs. There's only, like, five or six songs in the movie. You know, there's not a lot. This was also the guinea pig. Mm -hmm. The Little Mermaid was the guinea pig to this entirely new style Mm -hmm. and this new direction that Disney wanted to go into. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was as successful as it was evolved into things like Beauty and the Beast Mm -hmm. and Aladdin and Lion King, which are known for their songs. More so than the storyline. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say, if, if Little Mermaid maybe was on the tail end instead of the forefront, yeah. could you imagine how epic it would have been then, considering how great it was? Mm-hmm. At, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think it was a groundbreaking there. film in a way on its own, because I think that they did put a lot of effort into the visuals of the movie, especially mm-hmm. with the underwater sequences. They were really yeah. emphasizing the animation. Yeah, they were, with the bubbles. and Absolutely, the little finer details on yeah. that. So, what would be the final verdict for you guys on this movie? We'll start with uh, Scott here. Well, uh, I'll get, I, uh, I'll basically rate the movie in two two sets. I have two stars for how well uh, it's made, and I'll rate it on two stars of how much I like the movie. 
Um, this movie is very well made. Um, like you said, a lot of people work really hard. The, the songs are well constructed. The animation is great. Uh, the story, I think, is really, you know, a good story for what it's trying to do. And remember the target audience. Yeah, Kids. absolutely. So, yeah. you know, for that part, I would give that, you know, one and a half stars. Um, for how much... <laughs> I think they give it two. There's some flaws in the in the science. Um, <laughs> the hurricane like, sequence just for okay, real. Okay, flaws, no, 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 flaws in science. This coming from a guy who's talking about liking close encounters. Talk well, about flaws in science. That's another topic for another day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Save our. But that's not one and a half stars out of four. Not my enjoyment in a movie. I think is is. Uh, I thought you were doing a two scale. Yeah, that's the one scale, and I put them together. Okay. And uh, I will give on the enjoyment, I will give it one star um, out of two. So two and a half stars for this movie, so I would definitely recommend it. But um, um, yeah, it's definitely enjoyable. And, you know, obviously it's my girlfriend's one of her favorite movies. It's, it's <laughs> I'm giving it an evil eye. <laughs> I'm enjoying it watching her. But, you know, it's definitely for, it was made I, for Think people. about that moment of me and Lila singing mm -hmm. Part of Your World together. Just what? the magic of that. And, yeah. I mean, you know. The fact that that was like my movie when I was her age and just singing that. Yeah, just absolutely. the timelessness of it, I think, is amazing. Mm -hmm. So, Tony, we're all hanging on pins and needles. Take on. Uh, okay, this movie. well, surprisingly, um, I, on whatever scale you want to scale it at, I give it the highest rating. Considering the fact that its target market was for children, mm -hmm. the time and error in which it came out, mm -hmm. um, and the fact that it really was. It was the pioneer in the Disney Renaissance, mm -hmm. and also just the personal impact that it's had on my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can't, I just can't not love it for mm -hmm. what it was. Uh, I will say though, unfortunately, this movie gave girls all over the place unrealistic hair uh, aspirations. Because <laughs> when I was little, I used to go to hairdressers and tell them that I wanted aerial bangs. <laughs> I wanted my bangs to kind of fall like the way hers do. Which is not possible, mm -hmm. um, just to save you ladies some embarrassment out there. But no, I just think it's a classic, timeless Disney movie. It's a feel-good movie. Um, and I think for what it was at the time that it came out, it was somewhat revolutionary. And I really appreciate and respect it for that and for the personal impact that it's had on my life. And my niece, who is five, a couple months ago when I saw her, it was brought me so much joy to be able to sing Part of Your World with her. And just have that moment. And just, I think it's cool for something to withstand the test of time. I mean, people aren't singing songs from Sleeping Beauty. You know? Well, there probably is somebody singing those songs <laughs> somewhere. Actually, but... I don't even know if there are songs in that movie. Yeah, I think there might be a standard or sort, yeah. but it's not one of the more high end standards that you get from Disney. From yeah. One thing I wanted to mention is a side note to the hair uh, the underwater effects with the hair uh, during those scenes were inspired by Sally Ride, the astronaut, when she was in space. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good... That's Talk a really about good. science, yeah. Scott. Well, I, I think you, should boost, yeah. you should boost that star. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it, what, a half or well-made? What about one in, like, three quarters? <laughs> well, not budget. <laughs> I don't have as complicated a rating scale. Uh, basically, when I watched this movie, one of the things that I really find fascinating about it, like I said earlier, was the background story and how significant this was mm -hmm. to the Disney Animated Studios yeah. that jump-started this Disney renaissance. And I think that's really amazing just to see the studio uh, finding a sort of energy after mm -hmm. maybe a few decades of struggling to find an identity. 
Um, and watching the movie in a vacuum without that background, in and of itself, I think it's fine. Uh, it's, it's a good, solid animated film. You know, it is a bit formulaic, but it's supposed to be formulaic. It's a princess movie. Mm-hmm. And I do like Ariel. I like Ariel a lot more as an adult probably than I did as a kid because I find her to have a lot of personality uh, you know, and she has a very distinct look. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy Sebastian as a side character. I think he's, he's, he's mm-hmm. really entertaining and he's a fun character to, to follow. And King Triton kick, I kick, I kick out of Teen Triton <laughs> for some reason. Ursula, I think, is a very strong villain. She is. Yeah. Uh, she has a lot of personality. She has a good mixture of humor and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and also, it was nice to see a, the revival of a female villain. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably the last I mean, one. Maleficent was probably the last one before that, or maybe even Cruella Deville. Cruella Deville, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so on that note, and I think that the animated sequences, especially during the underwater uh, sequences, are fantastic, and mm-hmm. I think that's really something they jump boarded. And the music. That was really when they... Yes, no, Part of My World is my torch song. <laughs> so I, <laughs> no, okay, all things considered. That, the music, like you said, they fashioned it to be a Broadway musical. The music really was one of the um, standing legs. Yeah, no, yeah. My, in, 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 in your defense there, yes, the music, I think, for people who love this movie, the music is probably a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something I'm going to be singing in the shower tomorrow, but it, it's good. I do love Under the Sea. That's that's a great classic. Do I think it's one of the best Disney animated films? Do I think it might be slightly overrated in that aspect? Maybe. Especially in comparison to something like Beauty and the Beast, which I think is an amazing mm-hmm. film, even objectively. And especially in comparison to maybe some of the Pixar movies we've seen, or even some of the vintage earlier Disney classics like Bambi, Pinocchio, and Fantasia. Those are movies maybe that I tend to gravitate towards more. Just because I find that time period fascinating. But, having said all that, I like this movie. I like it a lot better than I did when I was 13. I really appreciate the the animation and the effort that was put forth. I think that it is a fluid movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things flow very well. It's very watchable. You certainly won't get bored watching it. The, the time we spent watching it kind of flew by, didn't mm-hmm. it? I Absolutely. mean, next thing we know, it was the end, you know? It's only at 83 minutes. Right, yeah, it's a very so. short movie. Uh, so that's our take on The Little Mermaid. Uh, what I'd like to end with the segment is to let people know where you can find it, where it's available to watch. I always feel like, unless you have a chance to see it in a theater, which I think is the absolute best way to experience any of these films, to see it as it was intended to be seen... Uh, the next best bet would be Blu-ray, and it is available on Blu-ray. It was released yeah. a few years ago. In 20- it came out of the vault. It came out of the vault, <laughs> yes, and in a diamond edition, and it has a lot of special features and documentaries and everything. If you're a fan of this movie, it seems like it's highly recommended for you to pick it up. Uh, you can probably find it on Amazon, on Blu-ray. You can also borrow it from me. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have the diamond edition. Yeah. However, I have the two-disc platinum edition. I can vouch for that. That's what we <laughs> utilize today. So, and then she, she'll put it in a nice package for you. Absolutely. So Tony Netflix, where she sends out Yes. And as of the air date, if you're not into a physical copy, you can actually buy a digital copy on iTunes mm-hmm. uh, currently. You can't rent it. You can only purchase it. But there are definitely avenues where you can find. And you better make sure you purchase that Blu-ray soon because it's going to go into the Disney yeah. vault at some point. Okay. Disney does not uh, allow its movies out for too long on, no. on the market. Yeah. So thank you very much for uh, joining us this week. I think we covered as much as we can on The Little Mermaid. And uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. See you next time. See ya.
what's a fire and why does it what's the word burn 